Hey guys, you're listening to episode 37 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we're going to be sitting down with Aaron and Miran Cho. guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Keelan, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Cody. Today, we got to sit down with Aaron and Miran Cho, an amazing couple from Dallas, Texas, who are passionate about generosity and seeking God's will. Together, they shared how God has shaped a very unique path of generosity for their lives that has reaped significant fruit for the kingdom. While many of our guests use some sort of structure for their giving, like financial finish line or giving a percentage of their income away, Aaron and Miran set aside specific time in prayer to guide their giving, which often results in pledging more than they can account for, and God has done some amazing things through their faithfulness. Before we get started, you know, this podcast has grown almost exclusively by word of mouth. For those of you who have helped get that message out by sending a link to friends or sharing on social media, we just want to give you a big thanks. It really makes an impact. And for everyone, if you think this or any of our conversations are thought-provoking or inspiring, Take a second and share it with someone who might need to hear it. We have been blown away at how God has used some of these stories to make a radical impact in the world of generosity and missions, and you very well might be a link in that chain. All right, with that, let's get to the interview. All right, here we are with Aaron and Miran Cho. Hey guys, we're so excited to have you here on the show with us today. Thanks for having us. us. Excited to be here. So why don't you get us started off just telling us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure. My name is Miran. I'm originally from South Korea. We're living in San Francisco. We're both working professionals. And we met at a local church in 2009. We both grew up in church, but we weren't born again until 2009. And during that time, Aaron met our spiritual parent, Larry and Debbie Titus, in the plane. And we felt like God was telling us to move to Dallas to be close to them and learn from them. So we got married in 2012. And a month after we got married, we just packed our stuff and then we moved to Dallas. And it has been a tremendous blessing for us. And now I'm a stay-at-home mom with two boys. We have Ezra and Joshua. Ezra is six and Joshua is three. And we've been married for nine years now. Yeah. Yeah. So as Midan mentioned, I met my spiritual dad who kind of changed a lot of things in, in our life and our trajectory as a married couple and as parents. You know, growing up in the church, we grew up in kind of a legalistic environment, very cultural Christianity. And when I met my spiritual dad, he really opened up my eyes to gain more of a kingdom perspective. And from there on, we, you know, shortly after we got married, one of the first things that we committed to as a married couple with not not much as it relates to, we didn't have a ton of means at the time, but we wanted to be generous. And at that point in time, we said, okay, we want to be kingdom focused and be generous. That's a commitment we're going to make early on in our marriage. And from there, we did a lot of things, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to during the duration of this podcast. But one of the things that what we'll eventually talk about is this idea of a kingdom fund that we began early on in a marriage, which still continues on to today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for giving us some background. I'm curious, you said you were both interested in generosity and making that part of your lives. What really planted that seed for you? So before we got married, we got born again in 2009, and we began just tithing, right, as individuals. So when we got married, tithing wasn't really an issue. We were tithing to our local church as well as giving pretty nominally to some other ministries, but nothing meaningful from our perspective. And when we got this kind of kingdom perspective and met people beyond the four walls of our local church, just various ministries, missions, organizations, and just kind of caught the vision of other believers who were, frankly, just had a different perspective than we did, much broader for the world and God's heart for the world. I think that just kind of got us excited about what's possible in terms of being used as God's vessels, right? So that's when we said, there's got to be more to life than, you know, tithing our 10% to a local church and just, you know, doing what we're, we're planning on doing at that point in time. 
I'm interested, you know, you're talking about this kingdom perspective and how that was a pretty major shift in your overall worldview. What did that look like at the time? Was there anything specific in terms of experiences you had or, or things that people told you or, or what you saw in other people's lives that kind of helped with that shift? Sure. Well, I mean, it's attributed to, to my spiritual dad, Larry, who really, he's a discipler of men. I've never before Larry met anybody that really invested in people. So I've heard of ministries and organizations and, and water walls, and I think those are all fantastic. But he was the person that really introduced this idea of investing in men like Jesus did, right? And I experienced you know, firsthand, right? He just discipled me over months, which became years, and now it's been over a decade, right? And I think seeing the model of discipleship in a real tangible way in my life personally, I knew that that was a kingdom perspective because the local church, from my, my standpoint, you know, we don't only really talk about discipleship, right? We talk about uh, bringing people to the pews, sharing a message, you know, singing a couple of worship songs. So I think really meeting Larry was a catalyst in terms of me just understanding and us understanding what it meant to kind of live a, not so much live a kingdom life, but really seek first the kingdom, right? And understand what, what else is God doing out there, right? If there's a, a man like Larry who's investing, you know, hours upon hours of his life pouring into somebody like me at the time, in my early 20s, it just didn't fit my natural kind of, I guess, my logic of how does this make sense? So it really almost convicted me to understand it better, to study the scriptures more, to really understand Jesus's model of discipleship and his ministry. Now, and then from him, he introduced me to a lot of the global missions that he was doing. And of course, as you naturally meet global leaders from not just America, but all over the world, you know, 35 plus nations, you just naturally start having a more kingdom perspective, right? Where you say, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all doing the work of the ministry. We're all part of the body of Christ. And you live in this part of the, the nation, which is thousands of, of miles away from where I live. So I think just organically, our brain started shifting and kind of expanding. You start reading other materials. Yeah. And then I think from, from there, you just start reading other materials and getting introduced to other people who are living differently. And I think that's kind of the key, right, is from where we came from a church context, literally you could grow up in a local church, be there for decades upon decades and never captured a kingdom perspective, right? You could go to the four walls of the building, meet the same people, grow in age and just kind of, you know, and that's, that's great, right? I think that's, mm-hmm. that's good to be committed to a local church. But I think it was being almost transported out of that building, right? To see what what God's doing globally that allowed us to just really expand kind of our thinking. I'm really interested to hear because I'm kind of going through this currently and have been, as you each adopted a kingdom perspective and we're going through that process together and started to live out that faith in your lives in different ways, what was it like to navigate that as a couple? I ask because my wife and I, you know, at times we're kind of encouraging each other to take steps and to live out our own faith in different ways. And it was really helpful to have that partnership. But at times we didn't always see eye to eye and what the next step might be. And it, it took a lot of prayer and reflection to stay on the same page. So I'm curious to hear what that dynamic has been like for you. Yeah, I'll share a little bit. And then I think Vidan could probably piggyback from what she's learned from Larry's wife, Debbie, because I think there's also an element of the kingdom perspective from a, a wife's perspective, right? Which is being a homemaker, a mother for children, just, and I think that really something unlocked in Midan's heart as well, which I was super grateful for. But for me, it was really that discipleship concept, right? Of man, man on man, being able to be poured into by somebody that's much older, who I literally wanted to become, right? One day, there aren't many men in the world these days, like the Bible says, there's many teachers, not many fathers, right? And mm-hmm. you can find teachers all over the world. You could, you know, digest sermons from the greatest churches, but that's not going to have the most meaningful impact to somebody personally. It's really that father-son dynamic, the Paul and Timothy dynamic, where 
you know, a father that's gone before you says, hey, let me bring you along, right, and show you how to seek the Lord. And that's what Larry did for me. That's what Larry and David, Debbie did for us is I learned how to be a better husband and a better father just by seeing, just really being around them. And then I think I'll let her speak on what she's learned from kind of that marriage dynamic as well. Thing, I mean, kind of came as a package. Like, you know, it wasn't just a Larry discipling Aaron, like Larry and Debbie, they come together. And then I just saw how God designed the marriage through Larry and Debbie. Like I came from broken, my parents are divorced though, in a broken family and Korean that's very chauvinistic. So I didn't, even though they were Christian, like I didn't see any healthy marriage model. But when I first saw them, Wow, like marriage can be like that. They can they can honor each other. They can love each other. And being a housewife shouldn't be dismissed. You know, like how this culture is all glorifying career over marriage. You know, like education over your children. But I saw in Debbie like what a mother can bring to the table, what wife can do to release and honor the husband, and through that, like I can be released. So it was. It was like a win-win deal for me. Like, and I didn't understand that before because that's not what culture and that's not what school's teaching you. But when I saw that in real life, I was like, oh, I want that. Like, I want to have that in my marriage as well. So, I mean, more time he spent with the Larry, he became better husband. So I was like, go spend more time with the Larry. <laughs> and then he can come home and be a better husband. <laughs> so it was just, uh, we were very thankful that we got to have a role model like that in our life. Yeah. One of the things that we acknowledge or I acknowledge is not everybody gets the opportunity, right? To meet kind of spiritual parents or people that intentionally invest in you, Right. And because of that blessing that we received, I think Midan and I have really made it a, almost our life mission, if you will, to do the same for others. So I, I love just, you could call it whatever you want, coaching, mentoring, discipling. I just love spending time with other, other guys, right? And mm-hmm. being able to impart whatever I can. Because really, at the end of the day, there's not much that I have to offer. It's, you know, God's been so faithful to both both of us, and He's given us just a tremendous amount of favor and just divine connections. And it's not financial, right? But it's all these assets that he's given us that, that we're just trying to steward well for his glory. And, and we believe that we're called to almost impart that to the next generation. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish more people had that kind of discipleship and relationship in their mm-hmm. lives. See, that's hard to come by these days. Yeah. You guys are exactly right about that. And clearly that sets such a, a strong foundation for everything else God might do through your life. So I'm interested, you guys touched on just a little bit after getting married, you know, where did you guys go from there? Yes, we got married, we moved to Dallas. And from there, just kind of going into our generosity story. So first couple of years, you know, as newlyweds, we not dissimilar to, you know, many, many other couples that get married these days, but we were burdened with student debt, right? So we both individually had a lot of student debt. And Early on, we're introduced to some of Dave Ramsey's materials, right, which is fantastic. And we said, oh, my gosh, like, we're broke. <laughs> we got to start figuring <laughs> things out, right? And so, you know, I was making a decent income and kind of working at the career ladder at that, at that point in time. And in the first couple of years, we just said, look, if we want to be generous like we committed to, we have to get rid of our debt, mm-hmm. right? So the first two years of our marriage, we religiously just paid down all of our student student loans, right? We were so aggressive in terms of living frugally, doing what we can with a budget to just to really just meet our minimum needs, if you will. And two years in, we were able to successfully pay off all of our student debt and be debt free, right? And that was a tremendous blessing. So from there, we said, okay, where do we go next? And at our local church at the time, they were having, like I think it was a building campaign of sorts, and it was the beginning of the year, and they were asking for just commitments right to this project. And that's when Midan and I kind of coined this idea of a kingdom fund. And all that means is, hey, what is our commitment for the upcoming year, for the new year, to give away, right? And over and above our tithe. So this is a new concept for us. We committed a decent amount of money at that time, right, given our budget. 
we had just paid off our student loans. We had some free cash flow. So we said, okay, we're going to dedicate this much to the Lord in the upcoming year and committed to this building project. So that was year one. And in that first year, we just saw God work, right? It was us putting our trust in him and letting him do what he does, right? And he faithfully provided, right? And as we always expected, he would. And then year two came around and we said, hey, you know, that's kind of fun, right? Let's let's do it again, right? So we said, okay, let's pray and and see what the Lord will put on our, on our heart this year for next year, right? And we always do this at the end of every year. We pray for the forthcoming year. We say, God, what do you want us to give in terms of dollar amount over and above our tithe? So in the second year, we found a pretty cool kind of water wall project. It was the first that we've ever done. And we committed a, a number, right? And I think it was a little over, maybe it was double kind of our first year's number. Mm-hmm. And we did that. And then kind of fast forward, we've been married for nine years. That kingdom fund, a number has multiplied throughout the years, right? So, you know, you can think about the, the power of just exponential growth and multiplication. That's kind of what's happened. So now we're at a point of time, you know, almost a decade into our marriage and maybe only six, seven years of doing the kingdom fund where we're giving away a pretty significant amount of money, which has been just tremendous blessing. It's been such a joy just seeing how God's worked in our lives and our marriage and our family. And it's been just fun, right? In the beginning, it was it was never challenging, I would say. I think it was a test for sure. But as the numbers got bigger and bigger, it became a little bit more challenging, right? Because you have to be more intentional and really pray and say, okay, is, is this really the number, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we're just growing, right? We're just growing and learning and we're still kind of in that phase today. A couple things stood out to me there. I wanted to go back to the point where you are aggressively paying off your student debt and maybe living accordingly so that you could allocate as much as possible to doing that. And my views of debt have kind of varied over time, but as of the last couple of years, I've really viewed it as an obstacle to financial success, whatever that looks like, and especially generosity. It's really hard to give money when you know that you owe someone else money. Yeah. Or it can be. And I'm curious if that was the case for you and kind of the role that debt played for you while you had it. Yeah. So professionally, I'm a CFO, right? I'm a finance guy. So I understand the power of leverage. I understand the rules of economics. And I totally understand why people would say, you know, why would you pay off a mortgage when your interest rates are so low and invested in the markets and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I get it all. I think for us, what it comes down to is, is peace, right? And freedom. And I think that's what the world oftentimes they don't understand or they don't get, right? Is Cody, to your point, going to bed at night, knowing that you owe somebody something, of course, you're going to always struggle, right? Is, you know, you're going to, it's going to be this constant struggle of God, do you want me to be a good steward and, and pay this person off? You said, don't be a slave to the lender, or do you want me to be generous? But when you're debt free, you just ask God, God, what do you want me to do, right? Who do I give to you? What do I give to you? And you just have this, this freedom in your spirit and in your heart where you're not discussing with the Lord, the world's economics and, you know, the things that you should be doing to be a good representative in this world and paying off student loans and all these things, which are good. So I think for us, it's just peace and freedom because when you're, when you're debt free, you don't worry about tomorrow, Right. And I think for us, that's what it comes down to is, you know, our lives can be taken away from us any minute, right? Any second. Mm-hmm. Right? And do we really want to be in a place where we weren't able to maximize our impact because we owed the government or owed somebody or some entity money? I think that's where we said, hey, yes, in a 30-year horizon, we, you know, 10-year horizon, we can make a lot more money. We could invest it in the markets and and accrue interest and accrue dividends and get some returns and gen- and be generous at that point in time. But, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed, right? So is there anything you, you would add to? I think there are two things that really helped us to have a freedom was the being debt-free and then have a set-aside for kingdom fund. So we fund that account before we do anything else. So when God said give, we don't have any obstacles. Like we already have a fund and that we don't have any debt. So when God said, write this check down and send it to this person, 
we don't have to say, oh, but God, I have to pay off this debt or, you know, I don't have money in my bank account. I already have it. I already provided. So that's been a huge blessing for us not to even think about how to bless other people or how to give their money away because we don't have any obstacles doing that. So that was like a big decision for us to be generous. Those two steps were really big things for us. Yeah. Yeah, I had another question about that Kingdom Fund. I thought it was so interesting that you said you established it the first year and the second year, roughly you you doubled the amount that you wanted to give away. And it reminded me of when I started working and actually Keelan taught me about the Roth IRA. And I said, oh, this is great. I think at the time I could put $5,000 in the Roth IRA. I said, okay, I just got to get $5,000 together and I'm off and running. But then I set up a 401k and oh, I can save more. I can max out the 401k. But then I can save more. I can set up a non-retirement account. I can always save more. I can always save more. But what I've found is you can channel that type of ambition and energy towards giving and generosity. And it's actually a lot more fun and eliminates all the worry. You don't have to worry so much about how is that performing in my account? Am I choosing the best investments and all that kind of thing? You do that up front and then you trust your partner's to invest in the kingdom, you trust God to use that money as he will. And yeah. I just love to hear your experience with, with giving versus saving. Yeah. So our kingdom fund, we commit to a number that we feel like God's telling us to commit to for the next year, even if it doesn't make, make sense, sense in our budget. Right. <laughs> and this, this is where it gets really fun, but also could be a stretch or a challenge for us to really trust God because it's one thing to say, God, I trust you for this upcoming year and I'm going to give this much. And in your mind, you know, you know, your income will cover it. You know, it'll be fine. It's coming out of discretionary kind of funds and free cash flow, right? From the chill bank account. And, that, and that's an easy commitment to make. But what we try to do is really pray about it, right? And ask God, help us not to think about our budget. Help us not to think about our income because I could lose my job tomorrow. I could, whatever, anything could happen, right? Just, you know, please guide us and and help us to hear from you and commit to what you want us to do, right? And many times what has happened over the last few years is just the amazing miracles, right? So like we'll, we'll commit a number for the forthcoming year and all of a sudden it's February or March and I get some unexpected massive bonus at work and kingdom funds fully funded. Right. Or, <laughs> or, you know, every the, single year. <laughs> yeah. Or some ridiculous, you know, tax refund that it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. or just things happen where just money shows up mm-hmm. and God provides, <laughs> God provides the money for his bank account. That's how we view the yeah. kingdom fund, right? Mm-hmm. It's all, all he wants from us is the yes, that we'll do it. If the money shows up, we will put it aside in a different bank account. That's all he wants from us. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to him to provide, right? And when he provides, we literally just transfer the funds and it's, it's, we build up that fund until it gets to that number. And, you know, there are years where if we don't have that, that massive kind of miracle bonus, then we actually budget it in the upcoming year, right? Out of, our, out of my biweekly paycheck, we say, hey, my, our number for this year is X. Let's do that divided by 26 pay periods. Mm-hmm see what that is, and we got to budget our lifestyle around it, right? But we will always make the kingdom fund a priority. Before saving. Before saving, before, certainly before spending. <laughs> but to answer your question, Cody, so we absolutely prioritize. We try to, to, to the best of our ability, to prioritize the kingdom fund and giving over saving because there's a lot of things to save for, right? Just put it that way. There's children's college education accounts, there's a mortgage, right? There's retirement and a lot of things. And frankly, we don't know what the numbers are going to be, right? I mean, college education today is not going to be what it is 15 years from now when my kids are going to college. So yes, we should be prudent and be responsible. But you know, we're of the mindset of why would we be saving for something that's kind of almost unpredictable from an amount standpoint, Right. And not even know what God's calling our kids to when we can absolutely 
give to what God is absolutely calling us to today, right? So, you know, with that said, we're very responsible. We have saved a very sufficient amount for retirement, you know, through my work. I do a lot of the financial planning stuff that Miran doesn't even know about. So a lot of our kind of pre-tax dollars, right? So I'm maximizing our 401k at work to take advantage of the, the matching. If we have excess funds after funding the kingdom fund, then we'll contribute to our kids' education, education funds as well. So we're pretty thoughtful, or we try to be, but are we fully funded and saved for all the things that we have to be saved for? No, and that's not our intent, right? We could be, if we wanted to, in a year or two, be fully funded for everything that we wanted our kids to do and to inherit or whatever the case may be and to go to college debt-free. But I, I would rather plan on working for the rest of my life, which I intend to do anyways, and be extravagant givers along the way so that we never have a regret if life doesn't go as planned. You know, one of the things that I love about your story and kind of the system that you guys have built around is just how much it relies trusting on God. And that's one of the things I love about this podcast is we just get to hear story after story after story of people who are trusting their lives to God, that he will figure out the details if they leave their yes on the table. And you can start to see the themes of just how God works. And exactly like you guys are describing, we see that over and over and over when people share their stories is when people are willing to say yes to God without knowing all the details of how everything is going to play out, then God responds and God brings out his own glory through those who are willing to say yes. And so I love how you guys have structured your kingdom fund and how you decide how much to give. You know, obviously both of us are big fans of financial finish line, you know, like a basically setting an income cap and giving everything over that away. We've heard people talk about giving a percentage of their income away, all kinds of different ways that people have structured their giving. But I think one that's unique in what you guys are doing is it's a constant back and forth with God. You know, it's easy. And this is true of finish lines. It's easy to kind of accidentally filter God out of it. You know, you've, you've made your decision up front. I'm going to do this. And then you don't have to talk it through with God on a regular basis. But what you guys are doing is constantly coming back to him and inviting him into your lives and, and to see what he might do. I'm curious, as your giving has increased over the years, how has the complexity of how you give or what you give to changed over that time? Obviously, there's more considerations that start to come up when you start giving on higher levels. I'm interested in how that has played out for you guys. Yeah, I'll go first and maybe we can talk about where, where we give to you and what we give to you. So it hasn't gotten that complex. I would say it has changed a little bit, our giving strategy. So a couple of years ago, when the the giving amount just became a more meaningful and large, large sum. Obviously we just started doing more research and by God's grace, just started meeting people in various circles and, you know, just to learn and see what people are doing and how God's using them in, in this movement around generosity. And that's when I got introduced to impact investing. So we, two and a half years ago, became very active in terms of impact investing, utilizing donor advice funds, because we saw it as a way to really multiply our impact in our giving, as opposed to having this kind of one-time impact where you give to a project, which I think is always great, right? And we still do that. But this idea of investing in a, in a kingdom-oriented company, if you will, where human flourishing is a priority, right? And from their jobs are created, you know, and from their people's lives are changed and from their, you know, maybe they, they commit their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right? So I think there's, that's probably the most complex it's, it's gotten for us is kind of this idea of impact investing into companies. And the reason that it's remained quite simple is because nowadays with donor advised funds, whether, you know, we use Impact Foundation, but I know there's other fantastic ones that serve as a great vehicle for impact investing. You know, they make it quite simple and easy for you, right? You invest or give to your donor advice fund and you get the tax deduction whenever you 
quantity debt benefit. And then from there, you kind of deploy that capital as grant capital, right, to various companies. And then if the company is successful and and returns some dividends or appreciates in value and eventually has an exit of sorts, then that capital is all contained in in the trust and ultimately has to be given away to a 501c3. So that's been kind of one of the areas where we've really leaned into in addition to our traditional giving to Christian ministries. And even for that, like we are very intentional about investing in companies that are very gospel focused. And then even if they might not give you a good return, it's going to impact people and share the gospel. And if it's going to help other people, we give money to those companies. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, this in the world of impact investing, which admittedly I'm a newbie, right? But there's a spectrum of companies that it really ranges, right? So you got companies that are kind of impact companies. Maybe you have a, a Christian CEO. And then the other extreme is a company that really is focused on gospel proclamation, right? Think about back in the day when the Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A were born, right? There are still companies today that exist that are doing phenomenal work that are laser focused on sharing the gospel, right? Doing Bible studies, praying for employees, having chaplaincy. So it's, we like partnering with those organizations where fundamentally we view them as a ministry that frankly could be even more effective than a typical ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's the kingdom mindset, right? It's thinking about marketplace leaders, right? Can marketplace leaders make an impact, you know, in the lives of others, employees, vendors, you know, et cetera, more so than, you know, a minister from the pulpit. And the answer is absolutely yes. Right. So I think that's kind of the mindset that we've gone from, investing in companies that really not the company itself, but if the leader, the founder loves the Lord and really wants to steward their business for mm-hmm. his glory and to kind of advance the kingdom that way. We believe that those are the churches the outside building. So, you know, we believe that that's our calling to support them because that's not everybody's calling. I believe. But we also still support local ministries and orphans and widows and make sure that our portion of the givings goes towards to spread gospels, not just all doing impact foundation, but we try to spread out our givings to cover everything in different areas. Since we haven't talked about impact investing a whole lot on the show, I'm curious if you guys could go into a little more detail of how you find companies to invest in, where you look for those kind of opportunities. You know, if somebody else was looking to step into that or how you guys have partnered with the impact foundation, which I've heard of probably a number of our listeners are not familiar with and, and maybe what that looks like for you guys. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of great donor advice funds, the national Christian foundation I know has been on your show and impact foundation. So a couple of resources that I was introduced to two and a half years ago, that really helped me learn and grow and develop just my understanding of this area is one faith-driven investor. It's just a franchise. It's a ministry that is focused on stewarding God's wealth and investing it in, call it kingdom, advancing companies. So that's just a curated movement that is really educational. And then for us personally, I got involved two years ago in a group here locally in Dallas, which is now national, called the Ambassadors Impact Network. We are a faith-driven angel investing network. We have, I want to say, close to 50 members. And these are like-minded, kingdom-oriented investors who you know, are accredited investors that just want to steward God's money well and invest in companies. So our network, we share diligence. There's deal flow that goes through that process with Ambassadors Impact Network where we source deals and we vet them. As a network, we share due diligence and then ultimately investments are made directly as angel investors. So that's kind of the mechanism that we've leveraged for our family. And then from there, the actual funding of the investments, we've leveraged the Impact Foundation. But there's a lot of other great funding mechanisms as well, but that's the one that we chose. I'm curious in how putting yourselves in a financial position to not only be generous, but to feel that sense of security and freedom has impacted 
the way that you view your roles and, and Aaron, the way that you view your career and Miran, the way that you view your role as a homemaker. My wife and I are talking about having kids and we've discussed, should someone stay home with the kids? What would that look like? And I'd be lying if I said finances aren't a part of the consideration. It really does matter. And how much will daycare cost and you know how much do each of us bring in? I'm curious on how does setting that worldview around finances set you free to be able to pursue the role that you feel called to? I think the first two years of our marriage really like tra- God really trained us to live with nothing <laughs> when we tried to pay off student loan. That's when we didn't have a kid. So I would say we had energy <laughs> and time to really just kind of train ourselves to be good stewards of whatever that was God was given to us. So we knew that we could work with whatever budget that God gave, gave us for whatever that time season is. So our mindset is Aaron can lose his job tomorrow. You know, like anything can happen. But can we survive with that no income or whatever is like a less income? Yes, of course, because, you know, we know that we've done it. We've already gone through that time. So I think that we just don't have the fear of, oh, how are we going to get through this? Like, how are we going to do this without another income? Like we have, I think we kind of like went over that fear of like not having to have another income or not having much resources. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we all also kind of took away from the Dave Ramsey years, right, and earlier in our marriages, you know, simple concepts like an emergency fund, right? Mm-hmm. So we have built up a very healthy emergency fund, right, that allows us to have that freedom. So I think we, we prioritize things or the funding of things that would give us no limitations, right, to what God's asking us to do. Mm-hmm. So when you think about, okay, what happens if I lose my job? Well, you probably want something to fall back on, right? And not scramble. So we said, okay, emergency fund is a priority. Let's build that up. And we always will keep that at a certain level based on kind of our our living expenses and know that, hey, there's always cushions so that if I were to lose my job whenever, there's a runway for me to find another job, right? So that's kind of, you know, one one thing. And then the second thing is beyond that, it's trying our best to live Matthew 6.33, right? It's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, and, and all things will be added on to you, right? That's a promise. And I think, you know, a lot of times people will say, man, well, it's not good to give to receive, which I agree with, right? But it's also not bad to actually believe what Jesus is saying, right? And, <laughs> and I always hold on to that promise of God, I know if I seek your kingdom first, that you said you will give it back to us, right? And that's only happened. It's been multitudes of that, right? You just can't outgive God. And it's not because what you know we wanted to receive something, but we've we've always said, what's to right? How do we seek the kingdom? So of course we want to, you know, and I think this is some of the tension that we've had throughout the years, just around how we've been stretched or challenged during this journey. It's, you know, of course, for Miran, she wants security, right? She And she deserves it as a mother and, and as a wife. Me, I just have a very extreme personality. So if it were up to me, I would just give everything away, right? And I think that's the balance that has been healthy for us, for her to keep me in check and kind of say, oh, wait, yeah, you're right. Like our kids' education is important. Okay, so let's talk about the school. You know, let's talk about how, how much that costs. And let's talk about, you know, whatever, you know, we got to save up for us to feel comfortable taking care of our family, right? So being trying to be responsible as well is, for me, it's been a maturation process, right? Miran has a funny joke or really a funny story. When we first got married, I was young and immature and just really stupid, right? I mean, I was born again. I was reading, you know, Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love. Just, you know, you guys have talked about those books, previous podcasts. And I just said the stupidest things, right? Like, I'm going to give everything away and, and if you're not good with, you know, if you're not okay with that, then you might not be, you know, <laughs> you may, this may not work out, right? And I think we always have those moments, right? But throughout the years, I've obviously just grown in our marriage to say, okay, am I being generous for the sake of being generous? So I feel good, you know, am I trying to over-spiritualize this thing? Or is there something that's more important? 
And that's where kind of going to the beginning of our conversation here, other priorities, really kingdom priorities have taken precedence as well. So as we learned about a healthy marriage from our spiritual parents, right? That's a kingdom priority, right? That's even a bigger priority than generosity, frankly, right? So healthy marriage, you know, healthy family, raising and discipling God-fearing children, hopefully having multiple generations of that, that's seeking first the kingdom, right? And for us being able to know that that is more important than just being generous has for me been helpful to listen and say, you know what? I got it. Even if I want to be more generous and give more money or whatever the case may be, man, you know what? If we're not unified and aligned, it's almost pointless. Like what's what's the point of single Aaron <laughs> just being generous and in doing all these crazy things when I have an unhealthy marriage and you know there's a division there, right? So it's been a maturation process for, for me personally. Well, I'm very thankful that he has patience to wait for me to be comfortable with where he is because we have to meet in the middle. So he never forces his own way. He always, okay, this is my idea, but if you don't feel comfortable, I understand you can pray about it and we can talk about it later. And then he doesn't force that. And I really appreciate that. And God really talks to me separately. And then when, you know, when I feel comfortable with whatever that number is or whatever the percentage is, we come together and then we only give when we both feel peace about it. So it's been a learning process, but through this process, I feel like our marriage is getting stronger too. I'm curious for how you guys kind of figure out together what you give to, or if you have some kind of structure and how you process that, especially at, over the years as you've been stewarding more and more that you've set aside in that kingdom fund to give. How do you work through that as a couple? I think Aaron kind of mentioned that a little bit. So at the end of every year, we set aside two days and we go to prayer mountain separately. And then we just spend all day just praying and spending time with God. And during that time, we ask God how much we should give away for the following year for the kingdom fund. And then we come together and then we talk about it. And then make sure we're aligned and we feel peace about it. And that's pretty much how we do everything. Like uh, we pray separately and then we come together and then see if we're in agreement. And if we're not in agreement, then we go separate way and then pray more. (laughs) And then we come back and then we go through that process until we feel peace about it. So we we don't have like set percentage I mean, of course, we do tithing and then we do all this monthly commitment and then we have a kingdom fund. But there's other things that we do when spirit led. And then we just we, we just pray and then we come together and then make sure that we're in agreement. Yeah. And it, yeah. as far as what we give to you, you know, through that kind of process of praying, we're always praying God to open up doors mm-hmm. to new ministries and to to identify needs. And, you know, we found a couple on, on your podcast, right? We started partnering with Do Lost Partners and Never Thirst because we listened to the podcast. We love what we heard. And mm-hmm. it just was something that, you know, without this podcast, we wouldn't have been aware of, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of one avenue of how we get led by, by the Lord to partner with a ministry. And then second, and this is the influence of Larry again, we like to invest in people. So people over ministries. And what I mean by that is, you know, there are a lot of ministries that are great, but, you know, investing in people that are investing in people is the model of Jesus, right? When you think about what the 12 disciples did, they all had ridiculous ministries, right? And and if we think about what a ministry is, you know, one of them have some kind of, you know, I'm sure you know, some of them had some preaching ministries, other had t- others had teaching ministries, other had, others had healing ministries. You know, we're really convinced that if we find people that God leads us to to invest in their lives, whatever they do, it'll be fruitful, right? And oftentimes that might be a person that is already doing something. It's not successful or whatever. It's not, you can't do due diligence on it. They're not producing financial reports, but you just know that God's hand is on them. And when you invest in their life, 
financially and support them, I believe it really could put some wind on their sails, right? And kind of do what Larry did for me is identify with who God says I am, right? And oftentimes you just need somebody in the flesh, right? To say, hey, Cody, you're special, right? As opposed to you just saying, yeah, God thinks I'm special. But you just need somebody that comes alongside you to speak those words that God is already speaking, you know? So we like investing in people and those people have a lot of different types of ministries. Well, you know, we're getting towards the end of the year here. So I guess you guys have another year ahead of you. I'm curious for what you see on the horizon. You know, what are you excited about coming up? What are you excited to be a part of and where do you see God moving? I mean, like, well, everyone wanted to give a 50% of our income for a long time. But I <laughs> financially, I feel like we're, we're not ready right now. But I do believe that we can get there in a few years. But when he first shared that, my reaction wasn't like that positive. <laughs> but he waited and then we recently did a job the journey of the generosity we did online and then doing the lunch break i just felt like god was telling me that you know we should do 51 percent but whatever blessing that we get other than paycheck i'm not i'm not there yet but all the other additional blessings that we get so i shared that with aaron and he was super excited and then a week later, it was a surprise. And then that was amazing blessing that came to us. And when we prayed together, we felt like that money wasn't for us. So we ended up giving all away. So I feel like that was kind of like a stretch for us to kind of God's testing for us for the upcoming year. Like we don't know what's going to be ahead of us, but it's already been so exciting that I don't know what God's going to call us to do, but I feel like there's something was unlocked in my heart when I proclaimed and committed my heart that this is my desire for God. So I'm excited personally because that happened to us recently. Yeah, I think I'm just excited for the unknown. So, you know, our testimony has really been God's faithfulness, right? And you know, I truly believe it's been unlocked through generosity and it's, Living this kind of life, I think it, it's it's exciting because it's unpredictable, right? Every single year, God will blow our socks off. Mm-hmm. Like, just we think about the next year, we think about a kingdom fund or giving more money away, or and we think that's kind of exciting. And what happens is a complete left turn. Like, you know, God will introduce me to new people, interesting people. He'll introduce me to new ministries, to different things at work from a career standpoint, just things that I, I never would have imagined, right? It's almost like he just has in his hands these special like treats for us. Like it's almost like, I don't know, like Easter eggs. He just has it. He wants to release it and bless his children. And he's just waiting for us to take that first step. And I feel like that every single year, right? When the year ends and we look forward to the next year, we just do our part to say, okay, God, like, what do you have for us? What do we need to commit our hearts to? And then we just trust him with healing, like you said, just all the details. And the details end up being super fun, right? The years usually never pan out the way that we expect it to. And it's always just constant, wow, I can't believe this. What's going on? You know, what's happening? And it's, it's, we're just always living in this realm of like God surprising us with various Easter eggs. So I'm always excited about the unknown, if that makes any sense. Yeah, Miran, I love what you said about kind of working toward a goal. I think it's, you know, viewing how you use the money that that God does bless you with and trusting him to provide it. So I think that's just an amazing perspective. And I'm so glad you shared that. As we get toward the end of our episode here, I wanted to leave a little bit of time for our manager's minute. As we seek to manage God's wealth wisely, we like to end every episode with one practical action for our listeners that they can take to do just that. So Aaron and Miran, do you have a quick suggestion for how people can be using any financial margin that they have to serve their communities, advance the gospel and build God's kingdom? Yes. I think probably not a surprise, just this idea of it's not a kingdom fund, but just this idea of setting in your heart money aside that you don't have, right. And committing that would be 
our recommendation, right? So you could call it a kingdom fund, you could call it, you know, money set aside for, for giving next year, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a way that you can really put God first and trust him, right? And it's, you know, Matthew six twenty one, right? It's for where your treasure is that there your heart will be also, right? It's saying, God, here's my treasure and I'm going to commit it to you. And then trusting him with all the details and just letting him work in your life, I think would be a recommendation. As it doesn't it, have to be big. It doesn't have to be big. Be yeah, it doesn't have to be big, but not budgeting it, right? In a traditional way of, I think budgeting giving is great. It's important. But if there's an amount kind of beyond your tithe and beyond maybe monthly recurring uh, donations that are in your budget, just something special that you're setting aside and saying, God, this is your money. And freely telling me where to use it and, and how to spend it. I think some really cool stuff will, ha- will happen in your lives. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, you're just giving God free reign to do all kinds of crazy stuff in your life. And clearly that's what he's been doing in your guys' lives. Well, Aaron and Miran, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a true blessing for us. And I'm so excited to see what God has in store for you. Clearly, it just gets more and more exciting every year. Thank you guys for having us. Yeah, thanks for the work you guys do. It's awesome. Appreciate you guys. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who is living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we would love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. They just need a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we would be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com, and we'll get back to you soon. Finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 37. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time.